IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to IB Talk, the global podcast brought to you by Insurance Business. I'm Paul Lucas, the managing editor of Insurance Business, and today we're going to be focusing on a topic that extends far beyond the industry and yet is one that is so often, sadly, swept under the carpet. That subject is mental health. And I'm delighted to say that joining us today is the CEO of Mental Health in Business, Claire Russell. Claire, welcome to IB Talk. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So, Claire, before we get into the subject of the day, um, I think it's fair to say that you may be sort of quite well known out there for your TED Talk. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Oh, gosh, yeah. It it was one of the best experiences I have ever had, and I'm very much hoping to get the chance to do it again. Um, I was invited to TED, so it's one of the the, the TEDx events. Um, I had quite a long lead time for it so I was preparing for it for probably about a year but um, yeah it was a a fantastic nerve-wracking terrifying but amazing opportunity and I found myself um, recording so we were in a um, a theatre studio and um, recording alongside some truly world-class speakers so that was pretty nerve-wracking on the day. (laughs) To tell us, do us a, do a bit of name dropping for us. Who who were those people that were there with you? Oh gosh, um, oh I don't even I, I don't even know if they were necessarily um, people that the um, listeners would know. But I mean, one of one of the speakers was a lady called Andrea Pennington, who is a phenomenal, world class speaker. She speaks all over the all over the world, um, and a, a, a well known sort of transformational coach. Um, she was the person I was probably most nervous about going on after, and obviously that's pretty much what happened. So <laughs> that was quite nerve-wracking. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, just utterly fabulous experience. I loved it. And, and for anyone who's perhaps not, not listened to your TED Talk yet, can you just sort of tell us uh, what it was about and how they can find it? Yes, so you can find it on the TED platform. So if you um, go onto the TED platform and search Claire Russell and Resilience, um, you'll you'll find the talk. Um, the subject of my talk was was resilience, and I um, talked a little bit about my own experiences and how those experiences have helped me to uh, learn about resilience and learn how to develop that resilience muscle. Um, it's something that I feel I, I speak a lot about. I feel very passionately about, and I think that resilience is a really fundamental cornerstone to mental well-being and I think it's something that people can develop. And, and you know, on the subject of your experiences, I think what's really great uh, about you know you from from the perspective of our audience Claire is that you've worked so extensively uh, in the insurance industry you've you've been a, a director at Eden Insurance a, a group operations director at Aston Scott um, among other roles. Um, what led you into an insurance career? <laughs> well, honestly, um, I started at uh, sixth form doing my A-levels, very academic at school, and um, started doing my A-levels straight from school and realised really quickly that I, I just wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I'd had some really serious health issues um, during my early teens and um, that had kind of, I guess, impacted on my view of the world. and. Uh, I just felt like I wanted to 
get out in the world and start kind of carving my own way. So I um, I gave up my A-levels after just six weeks, much to the annoyance of my parents, and found a job as an office junior in a local insurance brokerage. Um, and it just went from there. I knew within weeks of doing that job, I knew that I, I want that's what I wanted my career to be. Um, and so I just kind of threw myself into building my career from, from that sort of really young age. Yeah, there's a lot of people like that who sort of get into insurance, sort of fall into it if you want, but um, and then sort of stick with it uh, for the long term. So what, what was it that you enjoyed so much about it? I just loved everything about it. Like, I, you know, my first my first role was in a very sort of typical high street broker at the time anyway. And, um, you know, I remember in, in those sort of early months standing at the counter, it was when we were doing quotes out of rating guides, standing at the counter and doing like dozens of quotes every day for motorbikes and um, things like that. And, and I just loved the variety in, in the role and um, very quickly realized that I wanted to develop into uh, corporate insurance and, and, and then to become very specialist, which is what I did. Um, so when I set my first business up, which I set up when I was 20, um, my intention when I set that business up was to become a real kind of specialist niche broker. And 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 so when when you kind of look back at, at your insurance career now, do, are there any sort of things that stand out? Any highlights? I'm guessing perhaps creating your, your own business is one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I knew I knew from a very young age that I wanted to run my own business, uh, and it felt like that was the way that I was going to achieve the success that I wanted to achieve. I was very ambitious from a young age, so. Yeah, absolutely. Setting up my own business um, and doing so at such a young age was is a, is absolutely a highlight. But um, selling my business is also, you know, a, a, a big part of you know a big part of my story, really, and and, um, and and a highlight for me. I never intended selling my business. I didn't intend working for somebody else ever again. Um, but I was approached at the right time, and. Um, and, and sold my business to the business that was Aston Scott um, and and took on the role of group operations director for for them, for Andrew at the time. Um, and then had the most incredible few years um, working with that business. And, you know, that I learned more in that, probably in that three years that I was with that business than, than in my entire insurance career added together. It was just a phenomenal few years. So... How, how much time did you spend in, in the industry in total, would you say? How long have I been in the industry? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I've been in the industry um, nearly 25 years now. Okay, so having to spent that, that much time, um, so what led into your, your current role now, which is obviously the, the CEO of Mental Health in Business? So it's obviously you, you're still involved with the insurance industry, but it's a, it's, a, it's a much wider scope. How did you sort of get involved within the, within the mental health area? So um, 2015, I had a mental breakdown. Um, so over the space of about a year, so kind of 2015 through 16. Um, and I was still in the insurance industry at the time. I'd left um, Aston Scott and I was in another role, and I 
had a pretty catastrophic breakdown. And if you'd have asked me before I had that experience, I would have said that I wasn't the sort of person that would experience mental health issues. Um, and, you know, I, I had no experience of mental health, um, nobody around me or, you know, I'd never had any brushes with mental ill health. And, and I had a pretty catastrophic breakdown. And coming through the other side of it, um, I felt I felt very surprised by the lack of support that was available to me mm-hmm. within the business and around me, and 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 that got me interested in mental health broadly, but really specifically in how mental health was being addressed within the workplace. So it kind of went from there. I took a year out after my breakdown. And during that year, I trained as a volunteer with the Samaritans and started doing some various different mental health-related studies and courses. Um, and and it, and it just sort of went from there. Um, my intention was, was not to do something with it as a business. Um, I, I was volunteering with the Samaritans by that time and really enjoying being a volunteer. Um, and then at the beginning of 2018, I lost my partner to suicide. Wow. And the background to him taking his, his life was work-related. So it, it brought back into very sharp relief for me that, you know, that there was this thing that um, I needed to do. You know, I... I felt a real sense of purpose to be part of effecting change in terms of mental health within the workplace. So I went and did some more training, and then later on in 2018, I set mental health and business up. So it's it's a it's a remarkable story, really. That I mean, obviously that that you went through so much, and that you were able to sort of, you know bounce back in the way that you have and, and sort of I guess channel those experiences to 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 do something you know so productive as you are now um how, how were you able to do that can you even explain it in words um can I explain it in words I I really struggled in the first in the first few weeks after my partner died uh I I was carrying a, a baby when he died and I, I lost the, the pregnancy um, a few weeks later as well. So I went through a very, very traumatic time. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't in a great place, you know, for the the first few weeks, couple of months um, after he after he died. Um, and then I just sort of got up one day and I thought, gosh, you know, I've this is going to go one of two ways, you know. By that time, I, ha- you know, I had a history of depression, and, um, you know, I I could feel myself kind of slipping back into that, you know, into that place again. And I thought, you know, I've I've got a choice here, you know, either I can allow myself to be taken away, you know, with feelings of depression, or I can choose to find the purpose in the things that have happened and try to create something good and positive out of what I've experienced so I just made the choice to do that um, and you know I'm not I'm not suggesting that that was an easy thing to do or that I didn't have some awful days <laughs> um, you know having had made that choice but but it I, it was just a, a 
it felt like the only decision I could make really. Yeah, it's it's still a, an incredible thing that that you've been able to do it. I mean, obviously, you know, based on your experiences, can can actually do you think that that mental health health issues are, are sort of particularly prevalent within the insurance industry? Do you think there's more of an an uptick in issues um, within this sector compared to maybe sort of other areas? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, and there's a lot of evidence to 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 show that there is. Um, you know, anecdotally and in my own experience and, you know, through all the years that I've been in the industry and the, the, the various businesses that I've worked with and in and alongside, you know, I've seen it many, many, many times. And I think that, you know, that why is that? Well, you know, I think, I think it's a lot to do with the kind of culture that's been prevalent in the industry historically. Um, and you know there was there's 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 been a a huge body of work that's emerged over the last few years looking looking at mental health in the workplace so there was a big um a big study in 2008 uh, 17 uh the thriving at work report um which was an independent review of workplace mental health that study then kind of paved the way for various other pieces of work and there was one in particular the Deloitte mental health and employers report um, which is really interesting um, report because it actually looks at um, mental health within the workplace but it's drilled right down into sector and insurance and financial services comes out right at the top and not in a good way um, in terms of it's 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 the sector that um, that where mental ill health is having the biggest cost, both in terms of financial and human cost. So um, why? I mean, maybe maybe you don't have a sort of a, a, a strict answer to that, but are there any sort of reasons that you would pinpoint for, for why this is the case? Is it the case that, you know, people are working sort of long, crazy hours and or they feel pressure in the job? Or can you sort of pinpoint any issues? Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of all of those factors that you've just mentioned, um, but then also, um, you know, historically this has been a male-dominated industry, um, and in 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 many ways it still is, um, and you know, it, it's it's a generalisation to say that um, you know men find it less easy to talk about. Um, their mental health and emotions and feelings, but it but it's a pretty true generalisation, generally speaking. Um, and so I, I think you know, in the in, in this industry, yes, you know, it's a high pressure industry. Um, you know, we work a lot of hours. It you know, it, the the roles that we do carry a great deal of responsibility. We have a great deal of responsibility to our clients, and you know. And many many challenges that we face and all of those things but I think all of that added to back to that there's been this kind of historical culture that you know you don't bring your problems to work you know you don't talk about your feelings and your emotions you you know if you're struggling you kind of leave that outside the door um, and you know when you're at work you're at work and you leave your personal stuff outside of the door I think that kind of attitude, even now, still prevails. 
let's let's try and do something about it. And if I can, I'd, I'd love to get some sort of tips from 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 your perspective. Um, so. If we look at things, I guess from from the the viewpoint of of, of an employer, because uh, we'll we'll talk about the employee themselves a, a little bit later. But as an employer, uh, what steps do you think that that they can take to sort of make sure that they're on top of of people's issues, their staff's issues, and and that they can actually that the staff actually feel as though they can they can come to their employer and, and talk to them if they have a problem. So. You know, it starts with it starts with establishing the right the right sort of culture within within any organisation. So, you know, there's got to be a commitment for all businesses now need to be making a commitment to putting mental health and well-being really high on their agenda. You know, there's there's a, a legal responsibility for businesses to be doing that. Um, and, and there's also a moral responsibility. Um, you know, that all businesses should be should be taking um, care of the mental health of their employees just as much as they they do for their um, physical health and safety and physical um, well-being. So, you know, it starts with establishing that culture, but then it's got to go way beyond that. You know, that culture has got to start right at the top of the business, um, and and then it has to it has to extend to you know businesses investing in proper effective workplace training on mental health issues um you know i've seen i've seen a lot over the last few years um businesses doing running you know awareness events and you know doing sort of nice things to support Mental Health Awareness Day and World Suicide Prevention Day and all of those things, they're great, but but they're not affecting change, you know. What we've got to see now is is businesses really putting things, um, you know, proper practical measures and steps in place within their businesses. So it means training people. It means um, making sure that people have got access to support when they need it. It means, you know, having proper processes and pathways in place to identify when people are experiencing mental health issues and then to support them effectively with them. I guess we don't just want companies to to be reactive here either. We we want them to be sort of proactive and and sort of helping to reduce the chances, if you want, of of somebody kind of experiencing mental health issues in in the workplace. Um, I'm assuming a, a big part of that is about allowing, if you want, your employees to have a genuine work-life balance. Um, are there any sort of ideas or, or, or tips that you could share around that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I, I talk about this a lot in the work that we do, um, you know, especially, you know, in the current sort of time that we're, we're living in where we've got, you know, so many more people working from home. Um, you know, there's there's less of a delineation between work life and home life and it's really easy for um you know our work life to just spill over into the time that um you know we should be having downtime and leisure time so you know i think that it's important that as business owners and leaders we lead the way by um showing people how to put proper boundaries in place you know so if as a business leader i want my employees to um, not work ridiculous hours and to 
um, not be answering emails late at night and at the weekend and, you know, all of those things. Well, I've got to lead the way in that. You know, I've got to put those boundaries down for myself and then show other people how to do it and then respect their boundaries. So don't send them emails at night. Don't send them emails at the weekend. You know, get into change the culture so that actually there isn't that expectation that we're always on and we're always there to respond outside of working hours. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and perhaps for, for some of the smaller employers out there, I mean, let's say, you know, a brokerage that has less than 10 employees, um, they might be thinking to themselves, well, you know, I, I want to support my staff as well, but I don't have the resources of a, you know, a major insurer to set up some huge initiative. Um, what are the, the sort of small steps that those sort of companies can take? Do you know, they're... They're, they're kind of the same, but just on a different scale, really. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we work with businesses of, you know, of all shapes and sizes, and, and really the principles are, are the same. You know, it's about doing what you can to create the culture that you want to have within the business, and that starts by, um, you know, from the top um, and establishing those kind of... Um, an understanding as to you know how how we're going to um ensure that the people that work in this business are able um and are supported to experience good good mental health and then um you know making sure that people have access to information and resources and there's loads of free stuff so it doesn't mean that small businesses have to spend a lot of money you know there's a there's a huge amount of freely available information um, that businesses can tap into. Uh, the, the Thriving at Work report that I mentioned earlier uh, paved the way for some um, core standards, which uh, are a great guideline, actually, for all businesses. doesn't matter how big or small. They're a great guideline for all businesses in terms of the simple things that every business should be doing in order to make sure that and the people within the business are supported to to experience better mental well-being. Um, so, you know, that information is freely available. Um, there are loads of um, great mental charity. Mind is the one that springs to mind immediately, who provide lots and lots of free um, resources. Business in, in the community um, share some, some great resources um, and toolkits that businesses can access um, to help them put in place um, the right sort of practices that are uh, relevant and you know achievable and accessible for for, for their particular organisation. Yeah, so, so there's no excuse really. Um, but let, let's look at it mm-hmm. for, from from the employee standpoint. Um, let's say, for example, I, I work for a firm that, that doesn't have any of these measures in in place, and you know I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling depressed. Um, what what can I do? The most important thing that you can do as, as that individual is, is actually to, to open up and to talk to somebody. You know, changing the culture within a business starts with those individuals. It starts with people, um, you know, finding the courage to speak up and say, do you know what, I'm struggling a little bit here, I could, I could use some help. And, you know, one person does that and then that paves the way for, for other people to do the same. Because when people realise, actually, I'm not on my own, I'm not alone, I'm not the only person that's struggling with, 
you know, with how I'm feeling, um, then, you know, it, it, it takes away that sense of isolation and otherness and I'm not good enough. So, you know, it, it's got to start with kind of putting your hand up and asking for help. Um, I'm a great supporter of the viewpoint that um, individually we are, we're all, you know, we all have to take responsibility for our own well-being. So, you know, put in place appropriate boundaries in terms of your work life and your home life. Get that balance in place. Um, you know, be be courageous and brave in, um, you know, making sure that people know what those boundaries are. Work out what it is that you can do from a self-care perspective that is helpful for you. And that's different for everybody. You know, for some people it means making sure that they factor time into every day to go and do some exercise. For others, it means that, um, you know, maybe they need to look into some sort of um, talking therapy or, um, you know, maybe it's having a focus on diet and nutrition. And it, it it's just working out what it is that is going to help you, you know, and that, that's different for everybody. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, before before we wrap up, Claire, obviously you mentioned earlier about um, you know doing sort of volunteer work for for the Samaritans, um, especially for our, our global audience who who might not know too much about the Samaritans. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and and what you're involved with? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to volunteer with the Samaritans since I was a little girl um, because I remember my grandma talking about she'd volunteered with Samaritans when she was a younger woman. Um, so it really fascinated me, um, kind of all of my life, really. Uh, the the, the organisation was established, uh, I think it's something like 60, 60 or so years ago now, um, and um, it's a, a, a service that people can um, reach out and connect to, to talk to somebody when they're struggling so I think there's um, some misunderstanding around Samaritans I think that people think that you can only contact Samaritans if you're suicidal because they are Samaritans are known for um, being trained and being able to provide help and support to people that are experiencing thoughts of suicide but actually the service is there for anybody that is struggling and anybody that needs somebody to talk to um, and to listen to them. So it's um, it's a, a charitable organisation entirely manned by volunteers and the volunteers are highly trained um, in listening skills and so you can contact them by phone, by email um, and in ordinary circumstances you can also go into the branch and see somebody face to face um, and you will be able to talk with somebody who will listen entirely without judgment so whatever's going on for you you know they're just there for you in that moment to listen and to use their skills to help you um perhaps work through some of the things that you're struggling with and find your own solution to to how you're feeling yeah um yeah Claire, I, I imagine there's a lot of people listening to this and just thinking what a great person you are to be perfectly honest with you um if somebody wants to to reach out to you after this um how, how could they do so uh, very easily so they can find me on linkedin um so um if you search for claire russell on linkedin you should find me relatively easily the business name obviously is mental health in business 
um, you can find us at our website mhib.co.uk so any any one of those ways yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very very much I think you've been absolutely fantastic and really appreciate especially you, you, you sharing your own stories with us um, I, and I think it's one of those issues where you know perhaps we'll revisit in the future because I you know I, I think we, we sort of we've run out of time for today but I definitely wish that we had more time um, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's one that I think is you know uh, really tough to, to sort of deal with in, in half an hour that's for sure but um, you know it, it's something that you know has has a great deal of depth and I'm sure everybody really appreciates uh, everything that you've shared with us today. Thank you yes and I'd, I'd certainly be uh, very willing to jump on and have another chat on uh, another time. <laughs> yeah sounds great so um, it's Thank you very much, Claire, and, and to everybody listening, uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I've been Paul Lucas, this is IB Talk, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of IB Talk. Follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for the latest episodes.